passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. On Saturday, November 19th, post-wrestling turns five years old. Hey, John and Wade, this is Manny from Pacoima, also known as Snapcat in the post-wrestling Discord. Uh, wishing you guys a happy five-year anniversary. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for about a year or so, and I was instantly drawn in by your guys' chemistry. Each episode just feels like I'm just chilling with my homies, man. You guys are hilarious. I love the community that you guys have built. The wellness policy has definitely been a huge blessing for me. Uh, I'm not a drinker, so I will raise a bottle of pineapple flavored jaritos to the two of you guys and uh, let's go post wrestling we the ones leave your memories at memo.fm slash post wrestling and join us saturday november 19th at qxt's nightclub in newark new jersey for our five-year anniversary show presented by our friends at real digital a live q a the post origin story vip meet and greet and event t-shirt with the largest gathering of the post community ever Tickets available now at postwrestling.com slash live. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, joined by Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm exhausted. That's how I'm doing. Yeah, long day for you. This was an extremely long day. I'm going to make one request to the gods out there, whatever, whatever denomination you might subscribe to. I hope and pray that we never have another WWE earnings call hours before dynamite. It yeah. was uh, extremely pressing. Uh, all, all of this stuff. It just felt like there were 10 million things going on and it just didn't stop from four o'clock onward. Uh, but, but here we are hours later, uh, very, very quiet edition of dynamite. Very little <laughs> coming out of this show. Uh, quite, quite the uh, episode that they had in, Baltimore tonight that we will get to. But uh, did you have a good day? You had a nice, uh, how's your November beginning? Uh, it's been fine. Yeah, it's been okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to make it through tonight's show? I will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll do better than last la- last night. Yes. If you have not checked out Rewind Away from Tuesday night, it is a special watch along edition of the WBF championship from June of 1992, featuring the two of us and joining us Riding shotgun was Brandon from New Jersey. 
I had a great time doing this way. Um, he made his way through this. And by the end of it, I mean, this was, you know, the WBF, they could claim one victory at the end of this because they did prevail over way. Um, but this was, uh, I, I have gotten a lot of feedback to the show. It seemed a lot of people enjoyed our, uh, our novice viewing of the world bodybuilding federation. And it was, it was quite the trip. I, I must say it was quite the, entertaining two hours a, a show that did not need to be two hours but was uh it was yeah it was i mean i i'll, I'll venture to guess it was probably the most difficult thing I've, I've had i'll have to watch this week um it was bizarre you know I, I i listened back to it and i felt like i had really good energy at the start of the podcast of the of the watch along you started then, on, a, on a high yes and then somewhere in the middle when I, I think it probably came with, you know, some of our technical hurdles, as well as the realization that we were only an hour into this thing and that I still had halfway to go. That was I the just, moment when you pointed out the time and you it was this tone of you. You just did not believe what the time was telling you that there was this much left. There could not possibly be this much left of what we've been watching. They could not continue <laughs> at this rate of just what way. <laughs> Dubbed at the end as choreographed standing, <laughs> the standing Honestly, competitions. No, it it really is you know a, a feat of endurance. Um, not not necessarily for the athletes uh, that we got to see. All natural, by the way, as we were constantly reminded of. Um, but a, a a feat of endurance for the viewer as well. So why don't you join along with us? It's up available on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed as well as the YouTube members channel, even the iTunes subscriptions channel. Yeah, and I want to mention that for the month of November uh, at the Post Wrestling Cafe, not only do we have uh, this week's watch along already up for everybody, you get your rewind to SmackDown every Friday night uh, along with Rampage coverage, uh, but as well this week, this month, what you can look forward to, we're going to be doing a Rewind Away episode on an NWA pay-per-view from December 11th of 2002. We're going to be uh, throwing out another Ask Away mailbag show. Way is going to be doing a Wakanda Forever review uh, later on this month as well, correct? Not, ju- not just me, but a whole bunch of us, including Rich Fan, WH Park, Scrump will be joining us. Hopefully Nate Milton as well. Um, we, we always hope that uh, Nate, Nate can get that time off work to join us. But yeah, we'll all be doing a big roundtable discussion. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we can do some stuff when we're in Newark as well for uh, for some extra bonus content for post wrestling cafe members. So $6, it gets you in the door. Um, you will be charged right away, but then you will not be charged again for 30 days. So you don't have to worry what time of the month you sign up for. Previously, you would always get billed at the first, the first of the month. So that is waived. And now you can sign up anytime you want and you don't have to worry about checking the calendar to get the, the best bang for your buck. So, uh, take a sample. Hopefully you enjoy all of the, uh, the extra stuff that we put out each week and it helps support us here at post wrestling as does your attendance at the post wrestling five-year anniversary spectacular happening Saturday, November the 19th at QXT's nightclub presented by Real Digital. It is going to be the show of all shows. We are going to have Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, Sting and Darby Allen themselves in the house to host one of their world-famous games. Uh, Fire Frank is going to be in the house. And then Way and I will be hosting a live Q&A uh, all questions welcome, and uh, maybe we will get some of the, the post-faithful uh, up on stage because we will be joined by Andrew Thompson, Benno, Brandon Thurston, our man Neil, W.H. Park, Mike Murray, Chris from L.A. The man is just uh, 
uh, a world traveler now, Chris from L.A., making the big trip from L.A., coming over. Not for full gear. He's coming for the five-year anniversary show. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of these people, whether it's for the first time or the next time. Put a, put a face to some voices you've heard all these years. Why not? So that is all happening. Tickets are available now, postwrestling.com slash live. There are VIP tickets uh, to be had, as well as general admission. The general admission tickets uh, cover all of the uh, all of the on-stage activities and your chance to uh, chill out with everybody uh, during the afternoon. And we will be there starting at 1 p.m. And it's just minutes away from the Prudential Center if you are heading off to Full Gear afterwards. Maybe maybe you'll get to watch uh, Full Gear with Way. Maybe you can uh, – Way will have an exclusive post-wrestling after party. Uh, will I? Will 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 we not? Uh, you know, will not everybody be watching the press conference afterwards? That's that's what should be part of the pay per view. They should maybe sell that separately. The press conference. Oh, I would buy that absolutely. So that is all happening in just a couple of weeks' time. Are you? Uh, this is like creeping up on us. It's in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. In in, in um, I, I'm I'm excited. I'm definitely to see everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a, a very, very packed weekend uh, happening in Newark. All right. Uh, also, later this week, just want to make mention that on Thursday, Brandon Thurston and I are going to be doing a special show live Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time here at YouTube.com slash post wrestling, going through all of the third quarter earnings report and the call with investors. Um, we'll go over just some of the top line items uh, tonight, but we're going to save the bulk of that discussion for Thursday show uh, with Brandon. I also encourage you to go over uh, to WrestleNomics or on his Twitter feed. Uh, he had a great rundown of all of the key points coming out of today's report and call. So check that out Thursday at 1. And then Friday night, Way will be live with Kate from Montreal for Rewind to SmackDown. And then Kate's coming back with me on Saturday. We will be live at around 3 p.m. Eastern here on the channel right after Crown Jewel, right after uh, the WWE's return to Saudi Arabia, which we'll be talking about in a couple of minutes. And it all leads to the long and winding Royal Road with WH Park and Tom Lawler also dropping Saturday as they chat about Masahiro Kakihara and Yoshinari Ogawa on Saturday, plus WrestleNomics on Sunday, a packed, packed couple of days at postwrestling.com. So just bookmark it, plop down there and just turn it on and don't leave whether it's getting to see Barry DeMay or hearing um, Chris Gullo give you the latest on the Buffalo Bills we've got everything covered everything under the sun the show is varied as tonight's edition of Dynamite it is it's got something for everyone even if you didn't ask for it so there you have it uh, postwrestling.com is where you can go are you ready for a packed packed news pack way Let's get into it. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're going to start off with, uh, to me, with a, like a really big story, and that is this whole situation that's going on with, with uh, Saudi Arabia. So uh, if you have not been following the news the last couple of days, um, on Tuesday, uh, news came out, and this is from the Associated Press, that Saudi Arabia has shared intelligence with American officials that suggests Iran could be preparing for an imminent attack on the kingdom, three U.S. officials said on Tuesday. The heightened concerns about a potential attack on Saudi Arabia come as the Biden administration is criticizing Tehran for its crackdown on widespread protests and condemning it for sending hundreds of drones as well as technical support to Russia for use in its war in Ukraine. 
The AP story goes on to say that one of the officials who confirmed the intelligence sharing described it as a credible threat of an attack, quote, soon or within 48 hours. No U.S. embassy or consulate in the region has issued alerts or guidance to Americans in Saudi Arabia or elsewhere in the Middle East based on the intelligence. The officials were not authorized to comment publicly and spoke on the condition of anonymity. Now, fast forward to Wednesday, and a spokesperson for Iran's foreign ministry has called this accusation uh, baseless, uh, stating that they have that Iran has been engaged in positive diplomacy with its neighbors and denying that there are any plans for an attack on Saudi Arabia. Nevertheless, way I think that if you are uh, a performer or member of WWE, um, that or an, by extension a family member um, whose loved one is getting on a plane to go to Saudi Arabia, um, we know about the existing tensions that happened that week in 2019, and I can't imagine that there are not there is not some trepidation among those that are taking part in this uh, coming up on Saturday when this is a you know a very uh, spotlighted news item. Certainly. Yeah. You know, for me, it's it's a reminder that there are parts of the world that have to deal with problems like this that are way bigger than, you know, worrying about which wrestling promotion is the best one this week or something like that. Um, and it's it's certainly a part of the cost of doing business, you know, um, with a government that is that is as uh, embroiled in in this sort of thing. Um, I I certainly feel for, you know, anybody who's a uh, going there for um as part of this crew and also the family members uh there's a lot to worry about i don't see anything changing though no i mean um you know half of the crew was over there for for the european tour this week so obviously they would just be going from there straight to saudi arabia and drew gulak had been noting that he is set to go over there and they were flying out of florida Wednesday night. So that that would appear to be where, you know, the U.S. based crew is likely uh, flying out of. So, you know, there was nothing of the and nor did I expect this to be brought up on the uh, the the earnings call. But there has been no statement from WWE. They have not commented on this and they are obviously planning to move forward uh, with this. And um, it, it's just one of those issues where you look at um, the fact that here are performers that if they had any kind of representation or collective bargaining, I mean, is this something where, you know, if this was an NBA game, would the players association be allowing its players to go when there's, you know, the, the potential of an imminent threat uh, happening over there. Um, I was sent an article today that, you know, there was a similar situation um, earlier this year with F1 where um yeah, where they went over to uh, Saudi Arabia as, you know, there, there were attacks uh, from rebels in Yemen. So, I mean, this is not unprecedented, but nevertheless, I think there's going to be some some very tense individuals and family members uh, from now until they return over the weekend that it's, you know, you're just hoping for the best and that this is a safe trip for everybody involved. But this is a real world reminder of, you know, these these trips that the WWE has contracted themselves to. And, you know, the I don't care if it's a 10 percent chance of danger. I don't think that's a percentage chance that many want to be taking where this is completely out of their control and they are going over there for these high cost events and their their safety could be jeopardized. You you would think if there is a you know member of of the roster that felt uncomfortable that they would be allowed to leave at this point even if they were over there you think 
you would hope so. Um, but I, like, I, I would be, I, I would be certainly, um, very trepidatious if I was, you know, taking in this information and knowing that I'm getting on a plane and going to Saudi Arabia where I'm going to be for multiple days right in, I mean, it's, um, quite the leap of faith. I think you are, you are taking by, by going over there. Okay. Well, it, you know, it, I, I feel like I, you know, this is something that is probably a lot bigger than like what we can really talk about on a, on a wrestling podcast, you know, not just the safety, of course, of the performers, but I mean, of, of the citizens, um, that are involved in, uh, in really either country, you know, getting ca- caught in all of this. So, um, I, I mean, I hope it all turns out well for everybody. I mean, hopefully there's, there's nothing to be worried about and you're looking at the, but this is, you know, it's, it's something that you can't, you, you, you can't ignore. And I imagine this is going to be, um, very top of mind for the people that are directly involved in having to go over there. Uh, as we mentioned, the WWE held their third quarter earnings report on, on Wednesday. So, um, yeah, we won't dive too much in, but it was a, as Stephanie McMahon called it, another record quarter for the company, uh, bringing in $41.6 million in net income revenue of $304.6 million. They brought up that uh, viewing on Peacock for their Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, and Extreme Rules shows all up year over year. There was a huge focus on the what they have called the White Rabbit Project. They put a lot of focus on the success of that campaign and how it was a social strategy to send its fan bases to different platforms and go through QR codes and puzzles. The September 23rd number on SmackDown that was you know blown up because of that campaign and, and crediting Bray Wyatt with the success of Extreme Rules this year and why the viewing was up so significantly this year. So they, and by extension, you know, showcasing their creative division like that has been an area that has been uh, under fire for many of these earnings calls in the past about the you know television numbers and how that's correlated to creative. Like WWE, they had a lot to pat themselves on the back this quarter with, and they certainly did so um, with, with uh, raw numbers being up four uh, percent year over year, while USA Network is down twenty four percent. So if you want to know the value of raw to the USA Network, they are at, they average this quarter one million eight hundred and sixty six thousand viewers. The average um, audience in prime time for the USA Network is six hundred and nine thousand. So that is how WWE is swelling that that average for the USA Network. It's it's very very valuable to USA Network. Not as much uh, in terms of the SmackDown to Fox relationship, but uh, certainly for Raw, you can see that big focus on on Clash at the Castle, and it would seem that they are in the. Well, Nick Khan stated as much that look for more of us in the site fee space where they got a site fee to bring Clash at the Castle to a Wales and then did a gigantic gate. It was about eight million dollar gate that they did uh, with the enormous ticket prices as well. So it seems like that is a strategy they are looking for. Some of these premium live events is um, going to different countries and securing site fees for for these larger events that they can uh, stage. Um, just looking at a few other things here, they've sold nearly 100,000 tickets for WrestleMania next year already. Uh, Royal Rumble ticket sales have grossed uh, revenue of over $4.6 million already. They're expecting that to be the highest uh, Royal Rumble in history. And 
uh, Stephanie McMahon uh, brought up the the fact that they are looking at several key areas that they're excited for, and one of them being uh, potential mergers and acquisitions that is aligned with their core competencies. And she did not go into too much detail when asked about this later, but certainly any like mergers or acquisitions, uh, people are going to conclude of like hinting around the potential of a sale. And they didn't get the direct question about. Uh, about a sale, nor was it um, Stephanie was asked at one point about it. And when it came to uh, acquisitions, she mentioned, you know, like small term things, but then in the larger scope, you know, things that make sense for us, like, you know, just really kind of just leaving things very much open ended. But that was, you know, certainly something that you're going to take from that. They continue to, um, you know, outright uh, keep that door open for for people to speculate and know that you know the we're open for business has always been the line that they have used for all of this. So uh, th- those were some of the um, things that came up. Um, Paul Levesque was much more uh, focused upon during during this call, along with Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon, uh, and so, pretty much getting all the credit for you know the the television numbers, the creative that they believe has you know been a big factor in television numbers turning around and Paul Levesque ha- uh, stating that we're looking further ahead than we ever had before he's looking at next year's Wrestlemania how that takes them into the summer into the fall also bringing up all the talent that they have been without noting uh, Charlotte Flair Cody Rhodes Becky Lynch Randy Orton and um, the, f- the fact that they will be you know key people when they come back and that NXT Europe they they would like this to more reflect the U.S. system where they have uh, a recruitment strategy, partnerships and kind of funneling people, whether it's to the, the PC that's there in the U.K. It's also a great hub for them because if they are able to sign people, he used the example of India. It's a lot easier to get people in India to England rather than do all the paperwork to get them to the U.S. So that's another strategy for um, for, for the U.K. But what? NXT Europe really entails when you have made all those cuts. I mean, remains to be seen, but it seems like obviously the the show is on is on uh, hiatus, and however they they kind of change things around. But th- it seems like they want it to be much closer in alignment to what we see here in the U.S. with the NXT system, and it, it was the return of the global localization term. So that has made a, a fearing comeback way. Yes, they're back to back from the global, global localization. Also, very bullish on Canada. They've noted a performance center in the can- in Canada. Really, not a performance center, just in terms of their business, business in Canada, because their their TV deal with Sportsnet comes up in two years. Which was it a cr- an incredible deal that Sportsnet signed back in 2014 for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Where mm-hmm. I mean, for an international partner to grab them for 10 years for Raw for for, for the whole package, the WWE Network Rogers distributes up here. Um, It'll be interesting when that comes due here in Canada, what the kind of appetite is for uh, WWE content up here uh, in Canada as well. And if any non-sports channels might get in the mix. Could it be on? Yeah, maybe uh, CP24 will make a make a grab for it. Maybe YTV. Um, there's not too, there's not <laughs> okay. too many homes here in Canada that you can imagine uh, a WWE landing beyond like the big two, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Beyond that, what what, what is the what what was there, what was the mention and what what is the latest on the Vince McMahon case? Oh yeah, the, uh, so so that was um, brought up in the uh, in the filing, and Frank Riddick uh, could not have uh, speed speed read through this statement faster. But 
the special committee investigation um, uh, section uh, reads, as previously announced, a special committee of independent members of the board of directors was formed to investigate alleged misconduct by Vincent K. McMahon, the company's former chairman and chief executive officer who resigned not retired, who resigned from all positions held with the company on July 22nd, 2022, but remains a stockholder with a controlling interest and another executive who is no longer with the company, that being John Laurinaitis, but not named. The special committee investigation is now complete and the special committee has been disbanded. Management is working with the board to implement the recommendation of the special committee related to the investigation. For the three and nine month periods ending on September 30th, the company's consolidated pre-tax results include the impact of $17.7 and $19.4 million respectively associated with the certain costs related to the investigation. And um, so that was... For the nine-month period, $19.4 million associated with this investigation into uh, the alleged misconduct. So it cost them that much just to figure out where that other money went. Yeah, of uh, almost a similar amount. Okay. The way All right. It works out. But, I mean, it the investigation is done, and the most you have of any kind of substantive um, – action being taken is that they are working with the board to implement the recommendations of the special committee related to the investigation. Will we ever see what those recommendations are? Um, mm. Remains to be seen, but this could not have been, I mean, it was included, but it was hardly a focus of they this call. Well, they, they don't have any sort of like um, rules about uh, informing the investors about some of the, the results of something like this. I mean, th- this t- th- this was what they believe is, you know, their their transparency. Okay. Well, we what's did the, the investigation. Point? We have got the recommendations. I mean, ultimately, the guy's gone. So, I mean, there there's there's that. It's not as though it was, you know, this is the person that is still running everything day to day. We've done our investigation, and um, you know, we're we're keeping him in a position of power. I mean, he's he's out. So. There is that, and and it doesn't seem as though they're going to really be be pushed in that direction either to uh, explain any of the findings, how the um, you know years of this could have impacted the company culture. What is how has that changed in these past number of months? Are there are there related issues from you know the how that this was operated from the top down with Vince McMahon uh, for for all these years? And given, you know, what sounds like pretty positive re- results with a, a new regime in charge, probably not that much demand from the investors either. And and that is going to speak volumes to people that are just simply looking at the, the results. And would this be w- – would there be more uh, criticism of all of this if business had gone down of what Vince McMahon did? And it it does not seem that there is, you know, much – much and granted, these are not the outlets. These earnings calls are not the outlet for these kinds of topics to be addressed. It is, it is, you know, it, it's something like this is a, a lot in the grand scheme of thing, not a huge drop in the bucket for WWE to spend nineteen point four million dollars. At the same time, it's like we have seen, you know, lawsuits filed at just the. Um, you know, there was there was a great outrage when Vince McMahon had on one of these calls noted like how they're planning to double their rights fees and, uh, you know, pu- putting that expectation out there. I mean, these are, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, these are investors money and this is certainly, you know, 
19.4 million dollars that was spent on you know the the actions of you know two people that were uh, pointed to in this entire thing so anyway, more of this uh, will be covered on Thursday with Brandon. So tune into that at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time here on the channel. Uh, NXT on Tuesday night. We'll get into the ratings in a minute. But um, the, the most noteworthy thing coming out of the show was an injury to R-Truth that halted his match with Grayson Waller. If you missed the spot, um, R-Truth was going uh, to deliver a, a dive over the top to the floor and it looked like his leg gave out as he was in the midst of you know going into the air and then was like coming up short so he pretty much just landed right on the floor um and you know it was just you know he could not complete the 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 dive so Grayson Waller I think was in a tough spot because he was you know expecting to catch this guy who could not make it all the way to him um and the match was just waved off and he was taken to the back um, I was told by two people that he was being checked out today. Uh, I'm still awaiting confirmation on the extent of the injury, but obviously if he's facing surgery, I mean, that that's, you know, a real serious deal. He's 50 years old at this point. So whenever you're uh, facing a potential surgery uh, at that age, it's, it's concerning. And it was, you know, it was, it was a nasty landing. You could see, and the right call obviously made to just call the match off. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, uh, while, while this guy is having a relatively busy time, I suppose, on TV, you know, working double duty on two shows and uh, and working you know, hard here. I mean, like this was a dive that I mean, the R-Truth character doesn't need to be doing these. But, you know, he felt the need that, you know, coming down here that, you know, felt felt like doing it. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate because this is a character that very, very popular among, you know, all of the all, all people and one that does does not need to be doing it, but I think it was it was more so just a message of him coming down to NXT and wanted to work hard in this match. And it's it's just one of those things that it just it these injuries can happen. There's not uh, always a preventable uh, measure to them. So hopefully um, a full recovery for our truth coming out of Tuesday's show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. We also had several releases that were first reported by PW Insider uh, at the NXT level, including Rue Feng, Damaris Griffin, Erica Yan, Sloan Jacobs, and the most noteworthy one, Bodie Hayward of Chase University. And um, Bodie Hayward uh, already um, did an interview with PWmania.com, and he was asked about the release and kind of how everything was going for him and kind of how this caught him off guard. And again, this is from PWmania.com. And he stated, when I came in, there were talks that there would be an evolution. It was, it was meant to evolve as I evolve. I think he's talking about the, uh, the group. As we got more people, I always felt like I would be taken care of as well. I got injured, but got cleared and felt safe and thought they wanted to protect me. Every opportunity I thought was passed over wrestling wise 
We were on television entertainment wise. I saw, I thought the wrestling opportunities were coming. Maybe I wasn't there wrestling wise for television, but that's just how TV is. That's the part I was really confused about. It was a 45 second phone call to let me know I wasn't maximizing my potential and let go. I thought that there would have been me graduating from Chase U, maybe having issues with Mr. Chase and turmoil starting. Maybe Duke would have been a match for me as well to show that I can wrestle with a good opportunity. I felt that the Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes versus me and Andre Chase match was great. When I did wrestle, I felt like it was good. With the reaction we were getting, I didn't think I had to go to the top rope to do a moonsault. But if that's what I have to prove, so be it. So this one was an odd one, just given the fact that he was in the midst of a storyline. Um, if you haven't been following NXT, I mean, they had just introduced Duke Hudson into the group and sort of this, you know, uh, kind of Bodie Hayward sort of having a crush on Thea Hale. And now Duke Hudson swoops in. So they had just introduced this. And for me, it's, it's just an odd one here that you just yank them and we get the awkward transition on Tuesday where they just look at the flag that no one's there to carry, like subtly acknowledging that he's gone. As though, like, the audience is all up to date on this. Like, could we not have just written them off in a logical fashion in the, in the midst of a, of a story? But they felt the need not to. And, you know, for, from his uh, side of things was they didn't feel he was maximizing his potential. So, obviously, there was an issue there um, that WWE, you know, thought thought of him. And this could be one of those situations of just, you know, cutting someone and seeing what he does elsewhere. And and whether they look at him again, I really enjoy the Chase University uh, group. I think I think they're a very, very entertaining group. But this was uh, yeah, just th- this would be the most surprising of, of the releases. The other ones, I think these will be routine that after so many months, they're going to look at the progress others are making and they're not going to be holding on to just they're not going to have a warehouse full of full of talent just to put on level up and NXT. I think you will be churning talent a- along the way. And that's. Um, I, I don't know what the specific cases were the other four. I think Bodie Hayward is the one that people were most uh, surprised by. We really didn't see much of, of the others, so it's it's really hard for us to to be able to you know say. But I I I'm all, honestly a little bit surprised that we we aren't hearing about these more often, just given how often they they seem to be recruiting new people there right now. Yeah, this one is certainly a bit of, of an odd case. Um, not not unprecedented, of course, you know, with with, with the, no, they the, do it quite a bit where people yeah. are right in the midst of stories like they don't write mm-hmm. out characters. They just they'll they'll cut them. And I just I and they'll just write don't around understand. the exit. Yeah, like it was like it was the elephant in the room on Tuesday night. And I just I can't imagine mm-hmm. you, the viewer at home, like these six hundred and seventy thousand people watching this show um are even aware of this like i i just think it's kind of lazy to just you, you just yank but, someone but you think mids- about the nature of something like this right um it's not like you want to give wo- forewarning to the person you're about to release that they're going to be released. unless it's jimmy smith and you let it slip <laughs> by accident sure yeah i mean the nature of these things are, are often pretty sudden and they obviously didn't consider the story important enough to you know warrant a, a conclusion beforehand no obviously not i mean it, w- it was not a concern to them and in the grand scheme it's it's you know the the ship keeps moving but um yeah there you have it maybe maybe Bodie hayward uh can now um you know he's he's out of work and he can just stalk someone on NXT and he can still be on television every week. And it turns out that uh, Duke Hudson w- was paying him this whole time as Bodie Hayward attacks him each week. It, it, you know, it, it's it's a method that has worked in the past in wrestling. Stalking. You want to get 
get back on television. That's yeah. that's one route to do it. Uh, quickly on the ratings. So Monday, Raw went up against just Monday Night Football. The The World Series got delayed till Tuesday, so they did not have to face baseball. And this probably would have been the lowest number in Raw history if they had gone up against the World Series. I think we all underestimated just how much... I, I look at Halloween as like the biggest factor here because the first hour was terrible. And that tells me like there, this was just not a night that uh, people were necessarily going out of their way to watch wrestling. So they did uh, 1.5 million viewers and a 0. 0.36 in the 18 to 49, uh, 18 to 49 demo. So not, not the lowest figures ever, but among them, this is like certainly at the bottom. The same time, I would not be panicking at all about this number. I think that this is a very explainable one about why it was uh, so low and it was pretty much like you saw from the first hour like they had a little bit of a boost in hour number two and then falling below 1.4 million viewers in the third hour um men 18 to 49 down 26 percent this week uh, as well um somehow women 12 to 34 grew this week from last week so i i don't know how you explain that one maybe uh i don't know that was our that was our one growth area but as Raw posted, uh, one of its lowest numbers in history. Guess how Canada did? Obviously strong, as you wrote in this headline. Highest since Labor Day. 260,000 viewers on Monday night. Very strong. Against a Raptors Man. game and the, Monday, and the Monday night football game. I guess we just don't care about Halloween. We don't celebrate it. Obviously not. I mean, may, maybe you and I are just... Uh, are, are, are you a, do you have a portable people meter? A portable what? A portable people meter. Oh, like 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 something that reads how loud a, an audience is. Like imagine if you and I. Um, What's a people meter? That's what. Uh, it's like a device that like monitors your television viewing. Oh, that okay. Yeah. I do not have one of those. Okay. Well, there you have it. Um, yeah, that's about the raw number. Uh, again, I, I think given given the night, it was. Um, you know, I, I was curious. I looked at the last time they ran on Halloween and they were down almost the same percentage in viewership as they were six years ago on, on hmm. Halloween, which would have been an episode we also reviewed, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. Did we dress up for that one? Uh, probably not. I, I probably don't. not. NXT on Tuesday, they did 670,000 viewers, a 0.13 in 18 to 49, 22nd among cable originals. This was going against the World Series and uh, an NBA game, which was the number one program on cable. They were down 6% and down 11 in the demo. Uh, women 18 to 49, they were down 26%, but uh, men 18 to 49, Almost identical to last week, as were adults 18 to 34. So did not lose too much there. Um, 35 to 49 was down 21% as well and did not air live in Canada. So uh, it didn't air till midnight. So it was a, a fairly low number for NXT in Canada. So n not hurt as much as you would think, uh, given the, the World Series. It was their lowest since October 4th, but... Um, there were there were people that they were they were bound and determined to tune in and see Wesley and Braun Breaker go for Pretty Deadly's NXT tag titles and see Mandy Rose's one year celebration as champion. Seems like a pretty diehard core that they have, you know, um, that'll stick with them no matter what the competition is, no matter if they, if it's AEW, if it's sports. They're there. They love their NXT on Tuesday nights. It's their ritual. And uh, the final thing, uh, items, I told you it was going to be a packed one way, but we will. Uh, we have two more items here. Uh, GCW has joined the Fight Plus streaming service. So if you have not been following along, we have 
Fight TV has launched its own subscription service and you can sign up. It's $4.99 a month or $49.99 for the entire year. And they've added several independent groups, but the biggest, the one that to me is going to make the most uh, impact on this service is Game Changer Wrestling. So they made it very clear. All the GCW events are part of this subscription fee. This previous, the previous model was you had to buy all of these shows a la carte, or they, they would bundle them together for a weekend um, or for the, something like the collective. Uh, but this sounds like it's four ninety nine a month that the biggest winner in this is you, the consumer. This is a it, tremendous it's, deal. It's John Pine specifically. John Pine, is, uh, it was just celebrating into the wee hours of the morning. He just saved like, you know, $2,000 a year, I bet. Yeah. Well, I I could certainly see the strategy, and I'd be I'd be curious to uh, to talk to people about this. Is for Fight Plus, I am sure that they are looking at you know doing something significant that gets people in the door and signed up for this. But you're also talking about an audience that you know it it probably wasn't the greatest audience in the world, but GCW brought like a sizable number to Fight numbers, um, and they were ready. They spent a lot of money on this service and. It just makes you wonder, like, what what was the figure that got GCW to agree to this? And does will this make sense in the long run for Fight TV of what it took to get GCW on board here? And, like, those collectives, like, that, mm-hmm. that was, like, over $100 you'd be spending. And it sounds like $4.99 will get you, like, your WrestleMania weekend. Well, it sounds like this is a similar conversation we always have. Um, I mean, when the WWE Network was launched, you know, when any of these sort of uh, streaming services are launched, oh, this price gets me this much. Um, I think the thinking is that, you know, um, $5 a month from a vast majority of people, hopefully more than that would that would order a, a typical one GCW show a year would be enough to justify the continued cost of something like this. We're also talking about Triller here that are the owners of fight. And uh, we know how, you know, um, they look They're They're more than willing to, to spend money on stupid shit. Not to say this is stupid. I think this is incredibly smart um, of all the promotions that are out there. I think, I think GCW is probably among the best that you can get for a service like this. And they, they have seemed very savvy when it comes to deals that they sign. Like if you listen mm-hmm. to Brett Lauderdale, this is not a guy like that. I'm sure over the years he has had television opportunities and he is not signing stupid deals. Um, You know, he seems very in tune with what makes sense. And I'm sure this was a very lucrative deal for GCW and also their whole library. They are putting up on this. So, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic deal and you kind of have these two models now. It, and it seems that the, the two sides are going to be Fight Plus, which is a subscription model, and then you have Pro Wrestling TV, which is lesser known, and it only launched earlier this year. But it's a free ad-supported service where it's free for you to watch, and they've they've signed up uh, MLW. They, they've added a, a number of groups. I, I would say MLW is probably their most prominent um, at this point. They were they were involved with control your narrative at one point, but I, I don't think that even exists at this point. Um, but that's, they're banking on the idea of being able to sell ads against, uh, you know, what they're spending on content uh, to attract people. So it seems like those are, and then you have IWTV in the mix as well. They're worth noting as well. So that those are kind of the, the different areas that are all fighting for independent wrestling and, and you, the consumer to sign up for. So, um, 
you know, GCW joined a, a couple of indie groups, but it is um, certainly if you were a GCW fan, this is it's a fantastic deal for you to be getting mm-hmm. all this for five bucks a month. Yeah. And, and it might, you know, be the right price for, I think, a lot of people to start sampling the product if they were at all curious. It does come perhaps like I would say at, at a time that might have been beyond uh, we're a few months beyond maybe with the peak of like interest in GCW, but certainly it's something they can, you know, claw back and especially towards WrestleMania weekend and you, and you get the spring breaks and the blood sports. I mean, to me, that'll be the big push, I think, for this service is the collective and WrestleMania weekend. Yeah. And yeah. that has to be the strategy is that, OK, we instead of getting X amount to spend one hundred and twenty dollars on the the collective, we want to get so many more people that are going to spend four ninety nine. And I do wonder if this. Because we've seen this with almost every other streaming service, ESPN Plus coming instantly to mind, is just get people in the door at mm-hmm. a lucrative price and yep. then get them hooked on it and then slowly increase the price. I think many streaming services are going to take that. That, that. that was one area the WWE Network never really went with was upping the, the price that I think they could have gotten away with for their audience that was mm-hmm. used to spending 60 bucks on a pay-per-view. And if anything, people like at nine ninety nine, I. I think they could have gotten more from that, and they they tinkered with the idea of a tiered system, but never never dived into that. For a long time, I think you know Netflix was sort of like the 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 the, the barometer that I, that all the other subscription services were kind of like, you know um, judging their value against, and it took them a long time to move past nine ninety nine, and they're just you know the seal's broken, and they're going going all the way up and, and experimenting with all these other other tiered systems from, from this point on. But I, I also get the sense you know WWE with their the offers that they were given probably didn't want to deal with all that hassle and instead let somebody else worry about the pricing and all that stuff. So, yeah. You know, one of my daughter's newest words was that she introduced today. What is it? Spotify. (laughs) Have you seen the show on Netflix? The playlist? No. How is it? I haven't seen it. No, I'm just, oh, I've, it's a, uh, it's staring at me every time I log in. I, I don't know if I'd like it or not. I might, yeah. I might check it out. Is it, it's, it's a, uh, it's not like a documentary series. It's a, uh, I don't like, think so. I think it's dramatized scripted? and I, I believe it's, it's in, uh, it's subtitled. So I have yeah. to say, there's this great interview I listened to on, on the ringer podcast today about the, the, the um, one of the executives at F1 about the whole media rights. And he's sort of the buffer between the teams and uh, Netflix for drive to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Yeah. yeah. Send that to me. Yeah. It's cool. And last thing, speaking of uh, craziness, Jake Paul was on his brother's podcast. Oh, that was another note on the, the, uh, the earnings call. Paul Levesque all but said, Jake Paul is going to be in Logan Paul's corner. He stated hmm. that uh, with the bloodline all in Roman Reigns' corner, which is kind of interesting, he like emphasized the bloodline, which it'd be very notable if Sami Zayn was not there. Um, he said that it would pr- pretty much stating that will Logan Paul have his brother in his corner to combat the bloodline, which I would hope that they push that fact on on Friday on SmackDown, which they could easily insert something into. But yeah, he he all but said Jake Paul will will be on the show Saturday. So Jake Paul was on his brother's podcast and was asked about how the pay-per-view is going to end up doing with Anderson Silva from this past Saturday. And he said it's probably going to end up around two to three hundred thousand buys, which he called pretty upsetting. And, you know, he. 
he had a lot of reasons that he believes this. First of all, he said that all the pre-buys, it was just going up, up, up. And then that interview came out with Anderson Silva last week. I don't know if you heard this way, where Mm -hmm. it was an interview conducted in September by MMA Weekly that came out last week in the lead up to the fight, where Anderson Silva stated that he was knocked out twice during camp. And everyone freaked out, like, this is a pretty bad signal, and the commission was looking into this. Silva then said, it was the translation, I misspoke, um, pretty much trying to Hmm. equate it, like, he got knocked down, not knocked out, and anyway, the fight happened, but Jake Paul was stating, you know, our pre-buys were all going up, then that interview dropped, and they stopped, and I don't know what pre-buys really, like, I don't know how many people are really buying these pay-per-views in advance. I think 90% of buys are coming the day of, if not the hour before um, the pay-per-view. So I, I don't know how much you put that in. Then he added that it's, you know, it's Halloween, there's football going on, and I'm not fighting again unless it's the summer. He's only fighting in July and August moving forward. I was like, you guys booked this fight. You know, Halloween happens the same time every year. So it's like uh, you, you knew what you whoa, were doing whoa, when you whoa. signed up for. Well, what's that criticism? What? Because his belief, you know, people are out for Halloween this past weekend. There's other sports on television and, you know, the okay. fight. anyway, it's hmm. honestly people are like all the headlines are like, oh, it's the, the pay-per-view tanked. It's like, dude, two to three hundred thousand buys. It's not a home run. It's not a it. It's to me a, like what I would expect for this. Like, I think. Jake Paul's drawing ability has been greatly inflated, I think, by people believing he is, you know, this transcendent star. He's a star, but it's going to be the right fight that connects. And, you know, we, you know, the Tyron Woodley fights weren't these gangbuster numbers. We haven't got really reliable figures on the Ben Askren one. Um, you know, this, this is about what I would have pegged us to do. Anyone thinking this was going to do, you know, 800,000 buys, I think you have a, a great, miscalculation of you know the, the just the drawing power of both of these guys uh at this stage of the game so anyway um that that was that um that's not the official number that's coming from jake paul so um but the fact is he's disappointed with what he expects the numbers to do on saturday november 19th post wrestling turns five years old this is connor only discovered you this year and i would listen to the shows and these are cool dudes with the good vibes. Much blessings to you both, as well as to the Porsche Wrestling family. So keep on rocking to 10th, 20th, 100th anniversary. Porsche Wrestling, I support you. Gambate Kurosai. <laughs> Leave your memories at memo.fm slash postwrestling and join us Saturday, November 19th at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey for our five-year anniversary show presented by our friends at Real Digital. A live Q&A, the post-origin story, VIP meet-and-greet and event t-shirt with the largest gathering of the post-community ever. Tickets available now at postwrestling.com slash live. So I know you uh, you know, ha- already have a lot of stories for this news pack, but maybe we should be adding one more here. And this, uh, I want to thank uh, Barney Gumble, Sir Barney Gumble, from the chat room to alert us that Tony Khan has tweeted, welcome to AEW, the new AEW director of business development, Jeff Jarrett. Is this his 10th life? 11th? Jeez, who knows? 12th? This who man, knows? I mean, this graphic, can, can, can anyone be stunned that here in 2022, we are looking at Jeff Jarrett being all elite? 
So he is going to be the director of business development. And Tony Khan also stated, I look forward to expanding the AEW live events calendar in 2013 and in future years with Double J uh, and some of the uh, Chris Harrington and also uh, this person, Raphael, Raphael Morphe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he has joined AEW um, upper management, it sounds like. Yeah, and apparently is going to have an on-screen role as well, as we will get into in the show. Um, hmm. you know, he was, you know, he had a, a, an executive role in WWE. You know, listen, Jeff Jarrett, it's, um, a, a, for a lot of people, it's like they just, they just laugh at, at this, this man's unbelievable ability to always land on his feet. But I mean, he has a tremendous amount of experience. Uh, he is somebody that has worked in so many different areas of the business. And quite frankly, in modern times, you can't fill up your hands too much, uh, naming people that have the level of experience that a Jeff Jarrett has. So, um, yeah, we will see what this, uh, means for AEW having him in the fold. Personally, like I, I have to imagine he offers quite a bit you know, in, in, in the behind the scenes setting that, you know, we're not all privy to as audiences. Um, I will talk about it. I'm not sensing a, a ton of excitement, may, maybe for an on screen role for Jared, but I think behind the scenes, sure, why not? You know? And, you know, we'll get into it in the segment. Also, very noteworthy that it was his TNA theme that they played to end the segment as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there you go. Uh, a lengthy news pack, but there was a lot going on today. So, uh, now it's on to the AEW Dynamite review. And you know what way? I could just imagine um, hundreds of, of kids coming home after Halloween and stating, What are we doing on Wednesday night? Well, we're 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 gonna go to the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Arena, Billy. Yeah, let's let's get in the car. Let's head down to the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Arena. Um, I'm sure they have a catchier name for it. The uh, the CEIA. I'll have to ask Jordan, who was in attendance tonight. Well, he was one of, uh, well, according to WrestleTix, about 2,500 tickets out for this show. This was well down from May, which had about 4,500 uh, out or so. So qu- quite a departure, unless there was some extreme walk-up in the uh, in the last few hours. But it seemed like uh, another market that they were, you know, the, the, the demand has cooled for some of these markets that they are coming back to. But we're starting off with a match immediately. Darby Allen against Jay Lethal. Uh Lethal attacks Darby on the floor, and then Sanjay Dutt and Sutnam Singh come down, and Singh gets in the way of Darby going for a dive, and there was this cool spot where Darby's ribs are taped up, and he gets monkey-flipped into the steps with his ribs, and this led to Lethal working on the ribs uh, throughout the match, including uh, a German to Darby on the edge. Uh, During the picture-in-picture, I don't know if people caught this, but Lethal pressed Darby up in the air. And Darby came down, and it looked like he just jammed his like head and shoulder down into the mat. It looked like the ugliest landing for Darby Allen, but the man just gets up and keeps going, and continues to attack on the ribs. And then a lethal injection is caught by a rear naked choke, twisting stunner by Darby out of the corner, and then teases the coffin drop. But lethal rolls to the floor, and then in the the image of the night, uh, at least on the the candidates for image of the night, there were plenty of them. Darby goes for his tope and he bounces off of Sutton Singh. And this led to Singh and Darby being ejected. This just looked insane. He just, this man just stood there and he bounced off of him. 
And then someone dressed in a sting. This could have been Braden, I thought, uh, jumps Darby and attacks him. And it leads to a lethal injection and Jay Lethal winning in nine minutes and five seconds. And this mysterious sting figure gets into the ring. They unmask him. You have never heard a more silent reaction than when Cole Carter revealed himself <laughs> to be under the mask. I obviously this this was designed for the bigger pop later in the segment, mm. but I was just watching this. I was like, how could you possibly do a reveal segment with Cole Carter? Well, my only question is, who wore it better? Cole Carter or Braden Harrington? I think uh, for that matter, I, the Darby Allen dude, dude I thought better. Davey was a hell of a Darby Allen. Like that is one oh word. Like, you would, you would definitely do a double take if you were just walking down the street <laughs> and saw uh Darby Porter there, man. <laughs> um, I'm totally with you about this Cole Carter thing. I, I, I think, I think the Jarrett reveal would have been great under the sting mask. It was almost like the double pop, not the double pop, but it was like the letdown, but because we were going to be giving you something that you were going to get excited for. So, I mean, it kind of put Cole Carter in such a nothing spot in this match. I mean, a complete afterthought. Um, but, uh, so Darby is left in the ring alone. And first of all, they play Sting's music at the end. So you think you're getting Sting and the crowd goes nuts. And with everyone focused on the entrance, that's when Jeff Jarrett in his like dark cowboy attire from a GCW earlier this year appears in the ring. And it's I can only just describe this reaction as what the fuck? And it's like people processing like you see Jeff Jarrett, but you can't fathom that it's actually Jeff Jarrett that is in this ring. And he clocks Darby with a guitar over the head and sliced him open like he was bleeding badly all over the mat from this guitar shot. Big pool of blood under Darby's head. I was really concerned. Welcome to the family, Jeff. And he uh, Jarrett then cuts a big promo. Look jacked here says that Sting has become Darby's biggest weakness, and he's got a message for the the roster, the announcers. He then starts calling out the production guys by name, but his message is for the delusional fan base of AEW, and he goes over his history of his family and his business for the last 75 years and leaves an impact wherever they go. This did get a lot of heat. The whole crowd is chanting, you still suck, and he promises body bags by the time he's done. What type of heat are we were we talking about though? I mean, they were loud. I mean, they they disliked this man. Yeah, uh, and I a lot I, more I, than I'm Cole not... Carter. <laughs> well, they at least knew who he was. You know, that, that, that's that... always a positive when you do a surprise. Is they know who you are. I just think at this point with Jeff Jarrett, I mean, it just probably brings up a lot of negative memories of TNA Impact Wrestling that people don't want associated with And it's with another spot. Product. It's another spot on television that mm. is occupied by a locker room that is just salivating for any kind of attention. And, you know, Jeff Jarrett is, you know, listen, like you can go up and down the list. Jeff Jarrett is, I I think if you watched all the Ric Flair stuff, he's, he's a great performer. Um, it's just like, where is it going to fit in, in this? Like, this is just yet another faction that we have. And I mean, this, this leads you to think of like, is this like Jared and Lethal against Sting and Darby? Is that what we are going towards? It's. I just don't think anybody wants to see Jeff Jarrett versus Sting. 
or really Jeff Jarrett versus I, I, I think there was a real novelty in seeing him in GCW. You know, here's a guy who would be the last person you would expect to be a part of that brain. The contrast was wonderful. AEW, I think, already has a tough enough role trying to battle it not being a second coming of TNA impact wrestling and and to have jeff jarrett in a very similar role to what he was doing in impact wrestling feuding against sting no less i i i i could see the concern from a lot of people and and really that was their justification for the association here with sanjay and 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 and, um um um, jay lethal the fact that they all work together in in impact Um, do do you think that this would have played better if this happened on on rampage which is the show that we talk about having You, you th- would it have played better in what way like i think that this it, it's almost like rampage, rampage has such a it. muted feel to it that it's not of any consequence and that it's like if if this was happening on on the b show it's it's almost like it, it's a cool thing for rampage as opposed to the a cr- show where it's like tv time is kind of for the the well, top sure, guys. sure it would be great for rampage but i think it would be bad for the angle it would be bad for jared it'd be i mean ultimately we're talking about jeff jared in aew in a prominent role and that's what people probably don't, we don't know if it's going to be a prominent role like let's give this. This a few felt weeks. pretty prominent, you know. It like, always feels prominent on week one when they. So what, what was people. the point of this if it wasn't prominent? You know, it made sense that that, that I guess um, you know, especially seeing that he's going to have a behind the scenes role that maybe Tony Khan felt like, well, you're here anyway. Do you want to roll on camera? Do you want to be part of a stable? <laughs> um, we have uh, plenty of spots available. I, I, I guess in that sense, it, it kind of makes sense, but I, I, I don't see this being a one off. I mean, look at Mike Bennett and Matt Taven. They just came in three weeks ago. Okay, so you're saying it might not be prominent because we just might not. I, see I'm just them saying, like week one, weeks. these people come in, and then a couple weeks go by, and a lot of people just kind of get lost in the background. Like I, I don't think Sting is, and I don't think Jeff Jarrett is going to be dominating AEW television. And maybe well, I will, I will, who I will dominate AEW television. Besides a select few, that's more of a criticism of like you know how how often people get lost immediately after they've been introduced. But the point remains: Do people want? this constant reminder of impact wrestling, TNA wrestling, I should say, you know, on their AEW television. Um, I don't know about, about it. I mean, we can contrast this with some of the other appearances that took place tonight. And I thought a lot of those others were perhaps a lot more well-received than this. Well, it was, uh, it was our first noteworthy appearance of the night. Um, Cole Carter and then number two, Jeff Jarrett. They recapped the firm's attack on MJF last week, and no MJF on... Let's also go back and and talk about the year this man's had. (laughs) Jeff Jarrett, okay? Starts with GCW and Effie, where he beats him and then never comes back. (laughs) He had that one-off appearance in the WWE, um, coming back for some segment, but he was not working. That's right. Yeah, he did the the pop-up on SmackDown. Then he's hired, he rehired by WWE uh, in the live events department. Then he does triple mania. He does triple mania. He does uh, Jeff uh, Ric Flair's final match. Yeah, gets fired by WWE. S- SummerSlam uh, special referee. You, you he showed that? up Mania weekend for the Triple A show. If you remember uh-huh. that, um, <laughs> he's he started a podcast. <laughs> now he's off AEW. Ends it off with AEW. The man is just he is the forbidden door. This guy. I mean, is is there anywhere he has not touched yet? I mean, there's stardom. Maybe up next. 
Well, they're trying to expand more into the U.S. And if there's anyone that, you know, I, I think whether it's Kyrie or Mayu who wins that, uh, that championship, I think that, you know what, there's a guitar coming their way. That's it. You think Jay White, uh, orchestrated this with the, with his Bullet Club allegiances? Uh, Jeff Jarrett, the Bullet, Bullet Club member? Probably a combination of Jay White and, uh, Scott Demore for the TNA theme. The Bullet Club, wow. uh, alumni who have now just, uh, you know, through their their different uh, satellites and WWE, TNA, New yeah. Japan, they're just they're all over. Mm-hmm. So uh, no MJF on the show tonight, uh, which you can explain is him selling the attack from last week. John Moxley did this great promo backstage. This is the this energy is the drug he loves. It's the biggest night of Lee Moriarty's life. He thinks that Lee has a lot of skills and he likes Lee. He's just not mean enough or nasty enough for the for the Blackpool Combat Club. And he's going to give him a lesson in pain and perseverance tonight and force him to dig deep to where his bad intentions lie. And he's going to have to find that deep rooted anger that he's repressed. Excellent, as always. You know, sound. Yeah, like, and, and you could probably tell this was a one take type of thing. He's just got it in him. Anytime you put a camera on him, fantastic. Then we go to the break, and it's a clip of the elite winning the trios championships that feel like a year ago, but it was the last pay per view. And then we go to someone's uh, avid system, and they avid media composer. And look at this. Is this top of the line? Oh yeah, sure. It's a standard. Yeah. So maybe this is a. Uh, Maybe Kevin Sullivan's behind the uh, delete the elite. Hmm. The producer, Kevin Sullivan, not not the wrestler. So it's deleted from the editing system and replaced with death triangles win. And then the shot of the elite being removed from the poster. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're like, this is no kind of white rabbit, you know, level of tease. Like it's, it's very clearly kind of spelling out what you're going to get at the end of all of this. Yeah. Do, um, do you think that this is how – does this just lead into the pay-per-view? Just It could, really. Yeah. All you really need is just kind of Death Triangle stating, hey, we've seen your videos. We challenge you to a match, and that, that could really be it. So what's going to be the, the go-home, like, Dropbox file? Like an Dropbox MP3 file. from the Elite or something? Ooh. We're just going, going across all media? I mean, it's got to be more of this sort of deleting, vanishing thing stuff, right? So – I don't know. I like this I, I, overall. Like, I, I like the fact that we're not hearing them talk about it. We're not hearing people on screen acknowledging it even. You know, they're just kind of like showing these little 30-second things, and that's it. Um, they can honestly kind of take this all the way up until the week of the event, and I, I think you, you built a great anticipation just, just on that alone. It's like everyone knows they're coming. You don't know when they're coming. I think it's intriguing, It's and it's simple, too. It's, you know, it's, yeah. you're curious of where this is all going, uh, for sure. John Moxley, Lee Moriarty, title eliminator with Ethan Page on commentary. So the, during this match, Lamar Jackson, the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, arrives at the show fashionably late. He was not interested in elevation. Um, he also was like walking directly in, in front of the hard camera. Walks like past the hard camera and the whole crowd recognizes him. They all are looking at him and then chanting MVP. I would have been pissed if I was in the ring because uh, uh, they took all the attention away from these guys for like the middle of this match. And then they finally settled down. And Taz is the one who informs us who this is that they're all noticing. 
but they get back on track here. Uh, Lee goes for a hammer lock. It's stopped with a cutter. And then Moriarty, who's been selling his shoulder, uh, applies the border city stretch, gives it up, then drops down strikes, reapplies it. Moxley escapes with a cradle, drops the elbows, and then arm bars Moriarty in 10 minutes and six seconds. Um, decent match. Uh, I didn't think this was sort of that match that if you were trying to tell the story of Lee Moriarty being criticized, not being violent enough, and then standing up to Moxley and taking him to the brink before losing, I didn't think this accomplished that at the end. Agreed. Agreed. I I think it showcased, you know, a great level of like base ability that Lee Moriarty has, but I think it's a hard enough challenge when you're a heel trying to tell that, you know, story that they've been telling with like a Wheeler Yuta, for instance, um, when he's supposed to be in the position of, of, of the guy as part of the heel faction. I, I don't know if it was as successful here and certainly having, you know, the star um, athlete of the city walk in the background, distracting the entire arena gave them a, a, a relatively kind of big obstacle for them to overcome. I also didn't really love like, uh, man, Moriarty tapping out, you know, like when, when I feel like, you know, this guy's gimmick is that he, you know, he should be the submission expert and maybe there's something to that. Maybe they'll kind of play up on that. Um, I, I think on. they want another submission from Oxley. That's a, another believable finish for the pay-per-view. Uh, he's already got one though. I mean, he's got plenty, but like, I, I just, I don't know if like you need to do it to the guy whose thing is submissions, you know? Well, I mean, for them, it's, this is about building up your pay-per-view and Moriarty was the, uh, the sacrificial lamb to build that mm-hmm. up. Then Ethan page ran down boots, John Moxley and Ethan page is in the title eliminator tournament, but we are going to get more names on Friday. So he is obviously one of, one of the favorites. Then Renee, this was the, almost the exact same thing as we got with Brock and Lashley, where they were set to do an interview, but only one of them showed up and it's Soraya and, they state they're going to use this valuable television time to uh, to talk, even though Baker has no-showed the interview. Soraya says Baker doesn't care about anyone but herself. Uh, Soraya has wrestled for 17 years, built divisions everywhere she went, and she wanted to be part of this rebel league of AEW, where rebels like Jeff Jarrett and, uh, <laughs> and company have, have come to t- stick it to the man. And she has asked about her medical status, and Soraya says... I'll wait one more week because I still have one more doctor to consult. So yeah. I didn't know what went on here that they advertised this all week. Baker did a separate segment and they're pushing this a week. What is happening here, John, is that they had to debut Soraya, I suppose, at a big stage and that was all out. And they had no other material to get us from all out to full gear, which is probably when they want to have the match. And thus, we've just had kind of weeks of either non-appearances or just complete uneventful ambiguity about her status. Um, you know, people people kind of know my, my feelings about this entire build thus far. I was so excited to see Soraya in the, the AEW women's division. But I think they really fumbled all the, you know, this this build, you know, towards her big comeback. And and this announcement that they've been dragging out now for like a month, it feels like. When we all, at this point, like, I feel like half of us fe- feel the announcement was already made. The other half are completely unaware. And at this point, I think, you know, we all kind of know we're just like, I'm groaning at like, you know, them just not already. Like, last week, what, Friday, it was what? 
Um, what was the, what was the segment they did Friday? Like we joked about this, the fact that they would just continue to make us wait, you know, another week just, just to kind of, you know, give us the announcement, but we're going to have to wait another week and that's whatever they like, but it's very clear. They have no material for her. Um, and they're trying to extend this thing all the way until full gear. Yeah. I mean, on a show where we're going to get like (laughs) Shibata's wrestling in AEW, it just seems like, okay, (laughs) like the clearance is like pretty much, it's pretty liberal, I think. And the fact that they did physicality with Soraya already, I think that was sort of your tip to your audience of like, okay, this is like, everyone knows where this is going. I don't think you have that dramatic, um, moment you're not going to get that brian danielson i've been cleared kind of they should have though i mean obviously that would have been the big moment to really kind of announce i'm i've been cleared after all these years and i'm ready to you know my first opponent is going to be such and such but i i think they they've just not done a very good job of setting that up like i if if you had all this time you know between all out and in full gear i i i would have told a bit of a story of Soraya trying to get cleared, you know, maybe having her like talking about, Hey, like I've, I've been, I've been doing my best to kind of show that I I'm, I'm capable of this, you know, like it probably might, might reach a level of, I think like reality that for whatever reason they might not want to get into, but they all have at this point, you know, she mentioned it. I've been trying to get cleared by doctors. Um, and I think they could have at least like toured with it. Show, show, like, you know, show, show us, with like what what her getting a test might look like you know give us a weekly update on 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 sort of sort of what it is make this thing feel like a bit more of a journey that will culminate next week rather than just sort of this weird you know space of of the audience constantly asking is she actually cleared or is she not lamar jackson was showing on camera this time so we got to uh, officially be introduced and then shivani interviews william regal addressing mjf and Facing the devil at full gear. The acclaimed come out for Daddy Ass's birthday bash. And Max Caster's rap, including how he's going to make Swerve pay like he's Elon Musk. And <laughs> if, if you watch Rampage on Friday and this this uh, <laughs> scene that was cut from, you know, the fourth installment of Saw starring Billy Gunn. They could not have played this for more comedy as he came out with both hands wrapped up, just looked completely goofy. Man could not take the smile off of his face after this torture session that we were privy to on Friday. And he can't scissor. So they have gotten Billy some gifts, including a brand new acclaimed foam scissor finger, which is brilliant that they came up with this idea. And they... Put the foam fingers on Billy so he can scissor. I was like, please tell me this was the entire purpose of Friday's segment to introduce the new foam fingers. Max then goes out to the crowd looking for the best gift and took this little girl's scissor cutout that she had. And uh, they gave it to Billy. He's so happy. Then Bowens lists off all of Billy's accomplishments, including... Getting worst worked match of the year by the Observer in 2006 for the reverse battle royal. They give him a world's greatest daddy trophy. Then Bowen says we had a bunch of guests uh, scheduled, but two of them canceled and the rest were upset that you didn't go to the reunion. So Billy does the suck it and the crowd pop for that. And then they bring out a certificate of adoption for Billy to adopt them. And with that, the gun club comes out 
and they were not invited to the birthday party. Billy basically says, I have two new sons now, and they aren't you. And then this is all a ploy for W. Morrissey to attack them. FTR runs down, the firm retreats, and then FTR grabbed the tag titles, and we have this moment of tension with the acclaim that uh, – I guess this is a very long-term tease because this is not the direction for the pay-per-view, but the match that I think a lot of people want to see with FTR and the acclaimed. Um, th- this was not the um, the segment that they had several weeks ago that I thought they just tore the house down with. This one felt th- this had its moments, but this was um, this was running the gamut with the the scissoring thing. Um, it's still over as hell, so like I wouldn't say like you know this like i wouldn't say this was a failure of a segment in any way this crowd seemed to love it but you know is it veering towards the direction of like overexposure maybe maybe that's that's what i felt in this segment this was by no means a failure but it felt like we're really pounding the drum hard on the on this that is a very unique thing that you have with your audience i just don't want to see them just beat this like a dead horse I was certainly disappointed at maybe the the uh, very abrupt tonal shift, you know, from what we saw on Friday with that horror scene to um, just kind of coming out in like sort of like an SNL. Um, it was a total style spoof. sketch. Like you're yeah. expecting him next week to just come out and his hands are fine. Like he he met Rey Mysterio's, uh, you know, eye doctor. And not to say like the swerve sort of like horror segment was I mean, that serious. It was. It was almost. He like, used pliers to. Yeah, yeah, but it was also like so campy in in a horror sense that, like, I, I I'm not. You know, it's 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 not as crazy, but but nonetheless, any sort of like attack like that where somebody gets kidnapped and his fingers are are like mangled up, I think you want the person. Who, who's the victim to sell it a little bit more. You want the acclaim to vow revenge that much harder. And they came out here and just kind of neglected all of it, you know? Um, but that should have been the basis for, like, this this very intense feud now for the pay-per-view. And it was just – it was done for laughs here, which is – I mean, it's just it, it's just to me like a – I didn't quite I understand they, the whole purpose of this angle to begin with. I would have liked it if they at least started off showing concern, you know, not being in a jovial mood and then maybe somehow worked it up to doing all this goofy stuff, you know, just to, just to acknowledge, I think, that that, that – that heinous crime that took place on the Friday. I also feel like um, we were kind of missing Swerve and, and, and um, um, uh, Keith Lee's presence in, in a segment like this, whether it just be via a recap video of what happened on Friday or something else. And instead it almost felt like we we're jumping two months ahead to like, you know, this future FTR feud. So um, I, I, I kind of feel like they were trying a lot here and um, it didn't feel as cohesive of a singular story as maybe um, I, I was looking for. But this whole FTR thing, I, I guess, could also be um, misdirect, you know, um, to lead you to think that the acclaimed are retaining, perhaps. Could be a lot of things. Yeah. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter with Shivani and... They didn't want to show up just because Soraya wanted to have a sit-down interview. And they want to face a team on Rampage on Friday. That's their mission. Chris Jericho comes out for the ROH Championship match. Ian Riccoboni is on commentary. And Jericho cuts a promo. Wants to face any former ROH champion. And he's even going to whip Lamar Jackson's ass. And they stand in the ring. Is, he, is, he a, is Lamar Jackson a former Ring of Honor champion? He's not, so he couldn't qualify. Okay. Is he a former champion at all? Um, I don't know. 
I'm sure he's won something in his life. And with that, boom, boom, out comes Colt Cabana. And our caller, Brian, called it on Friday. Brian, and I'm, I'm, I, I think Brian said he wasn't the first to come up with it. So Brian and, and also a, a number of very savvy uh, people out there on the Internet were uh, had a very clever idea, as did Tony Khan, obviously, of bringing back Colt Cabana for this. What a, a, very, what a return. A, a very, like... This was a very nonverbal public statement, I, I think, to mm-hmm. to many people out there. Both, as I wrote my update today, like using Colt Cabana, it's not just a message for your audience. Um, that is a a make good for lack of a better term, but I think it's it's as much a message for your locker room that you know this was the source of a lot of contention with people about how Cabana was handled and at least utilizing him here for this. Like it was a statement by the by AEW acknowledging what I, I think was uh, and continues to be an elephant in the room. Yeah, and, and that is pretty much like um, not any more evident than. Uh, I wanted to to dig up this uh, tweet from Trent. Actually, I, 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 he might have taken it off by now. But anyway, he was certainly uh, you know tweeting in support of uh, this move for the boys. So, uh, oh, here it is. Yeah, for the boys, Trent says Cole Cabana's return. So um, clearly, you know, at least one member of the locker room was very happy to see this. I'm sure there were many. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, he got a nice reaction coming out. And so the match begins. And this match definitely had some issues at the beginning. There was this spot I actually liked because it wasn't like what they what typically happens. So Cabana goes to clothesline Jericho over the top and he doesn't go up and over. So Cabana goes for it again. And instead of Jericho just going up and over on the second time, because they couldn't do it on the first time, he won't go up on the second try either. So they just continue on, and then Jericho bails over the top rope to the floor on the opposite side. So it was more so not calling attention to, um, you know, they got to the same destination here, but did not uh, bother just doing the redo spot. Well, here's the thing, because both these guys are, you know, like decades-plus veterans at this point. I I mean, there are a lot of things that might have been mistakes, but like the recovery was so fast that they had to be questioning whether or not they were mistakes at all. You know, well, the, the Chicago skyline felt like it was a, a legitimate like slip because they just crashed brutally yeah, to the floor. That was um, very likely a botch, but, but it also, they also went to commercial right afterwards. They did. Yeah. So, so. It, it, it also had you thinking, Oh, okay. Was this like their way of getting both guys to the floor so they could go to commercial? Well, total pros if they did, because it looked like they just totally cra- – it was, it was a nasty fall for both guys. Like they looked like they had no control on their landing here uh, to, to the floor. Um, and Jericho just takes over, middle fingers to the crowd. Cabana is crotched on the top and then stops the walls of Jericho, ducks a Judas effect, and he applies the Billy Goat's curse. And he gets kicked off by Jericho, then goes for the Superman pin, but Hager pulls Cabana off, and he hits his great acai moonsault to Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager – Flying Apple is hit and then comes off the ropes and is caught with the code breaker as Jericho retains the title in nine minutes and 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, despite like some of uh, some of those blemishes, I mean, I, I, I never really mind blemishes if I if they don't take me out of sort of the immersion of the match. And I thought in both of those cases, the they the recovery I thought was like relatively like seamless that it didn't affect the quality of the match to me. Um, 
I really liked Colt's intensity here. You know, the emotional look on his face as he stepped out. I mean, I'm sure this felt very real for him. The, the know, entrance just, to me was like the whole highlight. I mean, him coming out was, you know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was the most newsworthy portion, obviously, of this. It was almost like the match was secondary. How did you feel about the reception? I thought it was like a good reaction. I mean, you could certainly argue if you were going to do this. They are in Chicago in a couple of weeks, and that's going to be a very interesting audience to hear. Um, j- just in terms of, you know, it's their first time back in Chicago since All Out. Um, I, I I thought it was like a like a, a good reaction. I thought it was healthy. I I I I would be lying if I said I didn't think it'd be bigger. Like since you know, like cult becomes such a, a you know a topic of conversation. I mean, the punk story has been this whole like this match essentially like felt like such a you know direct answer to that press conference to what felt like such a big news story that I might have even expected the reaction to be that much bigger in Baltimore. Um, but you know, it, it could be the city. And, and let's be honest here, like you know, Cole Cabana has not been featured. And John Cena, in fact, says, Cole Cabana was just about a year shy from his last Dynamite appearance, which was on last year's Thanksgiving show against Brian Danielson. So if, you know, for for whatever reason, somehow you might have not been aware of this press conference and this whole CM Punk ordeal, and if you're just going to AEW, I don't know how excited you'd be to see I don't Cole know how Cabana. many of these 2,500 people are not aware of the Well, they're certainly aware. That's true. But, like, I mean, you know, would you be, would that translate to excitement in seeing a Cole Cabana match? I'm not entirely sure, especially when you set up this sort of mystery, uh, like, you know, anytime you do a who's going to show up, like I saw people suggesting Adam Cole being, you know, the former ROH champion. Um, so th- it's always sort of the problem whenever you have like one of these sort of like, you know, uh, vacant, sorry, mystery, mystery appearances. But for me, and I think for a lot of people like Cole Cabana was, you know, a, a very topical relevant and exciting surprise and i, I thought this is also kind of this is also a booking decision that i mean just i i think the the trent tweet uh aside i think mm-hmm. this was uh, as much about the people behind the curtain as it was for the audience like, if anything i think this was very much a um you know just a a statement from from the top of aew well as great as this was i think follow-up is just as important you know, it's one thing to just kind of bring Colt back for this one big spot, but like, what are you going to do with a guy afterwards? You know, does he have a role? Does he have a storyline after this? Remains to be seen. Yeah. If this is a one-off, if he's just still going to be earmarked for, for a ring of honor. I mean, it was, mm. um, you know, you would certainly expect that he will be part of final battle and, you know, the, all the ROH guys have been on television. He has been one of the few that have not. So I would think at the very least he will have a presence in, in that sense here and there. I don't expect it to be a big role, but a role nonetheless. Then at, at the end, uh, Parker and Menard come out. They grab Ian Riccoboni and Jericho breaks the man's glasses and then Claudio like, runs out. He puts them on first, which, you know, gave us one of the funniest images um, in recent memory on AEW TV. Uh, I would say that Riccoboni's image right there is pretty classic as well. Great still right here. Yes. Uh, Claudio's out. Danielson's out. Guevara and Yuta fight. Um, the way this is setting up, I, I wonder if it's the big multi-man tag at full gear and then sort of the individual matches at final battle. Interesting. Okay. So you think they'll all have a presence because like, like Danielson on final battle will be a big deal, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. It's it would be interesting to see if they if they if they put uh, Danielson in a singles match at Final Battle. Um, I just look at like there's there's only so many spots at a AEW pay per view. Are you going to do Jericho and Claudio there? Are you going to do Garcia and Yuta there? Are you going to do yeah. uh, Guevara and Danielson again? Yeah, I, I suppose there's a good chance that maybe you do a Danielson singles match. Um, I feel like Danielson is too important a, a piece of the puzzle to not have a singles match on an AEW pay per view. You know, um, but the others, maybe a tag team makes sense. Renee is with the death triangle and Pac interjects and tells Phoenix if he wants to become a double champion, he needs to be smart. And this hammer that he hands over to him uh, could be his golden ticket. So that is what Phoenix is left to ponder. Yeah, I, I thought this was like initially so silly that a man would tell his partner to cheat in a live interview with a reporter like you know in aw they don't do the invisible camera of course so like it's not like it's a backstage skit where it's like but like you know they're just doing it in full view of everybody until i realized a triple threat match has no disqualification so it it kind of kind of a major gap in logic for these triple threats like you can just do anything like why wouldn't you always volunteer volunteer (laughs) for a triple threat match if you've got you know uh you know like a weapon um. Well, you should watch your back. Okay. Um, they announced a bunch of uh, new dates. So um, January 4th, they're in Seattle. And then two days later, they're going to Portland for Rampage and Battle of the Belts, the first Battle of the Belts of the new year. And then Fresno, January 18th for Dynamite and Lexington, Kentucky, January 25th as uh, new dates on the calendar. Orange Cassidy, Luchasaurus, and Ray Phoenix for the All-Atlantic Championship. Uh, midway through the match, Christian joins commentary. Um, there's an orange punch onto Luchasaurus, who goes to the floor, and then Cassidy and Phoenix are alone, and they both go for dives onto Luchasaurus simultaneously. So Luchasaurus catches Orange Cassidy by the throat. Phoenix just, like, crashes to the floor. Like, he's not caught. He just, like, did this dive, and I don't know what the plan was, but uh, he just, like, tumbles to the floor. Uh, Phoenix is put through the timekeeper's table by Luchasaurus, and then Luchasaurus and Cassidy fight up by the entrance when Jungle Boy comes out, uh, chases Christian to the back, and then returns, leaps onto Luchasaurus, sending both off the stage through a table on the floor. Uh, I thought Jungle Boy was excellent for like the 45 seconds that he was on screen. Mm -hmm. This crowd went nuts. This was a really cool spot. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of fire. Um, Really great part of the match and then pack runs down hands the hammer to phoenix but he's not going to take it he throws the hammer away and the announcers are re- reminding us it's no dq and with that uh phoenix does a somersault and is caught in midair rolling into a orange punch and cassidy retains in 956 fun match you know um two like really fast quick guys working against this sort of like big monster dinosaur in this case anytime you had cassidy and phoenix in there it was really kind of like high level very exciting stuff so um i'm i'm digging this orange cassidy all all atlantic championship run thus far you know it just seems like he's putting on great trios matches against sort of like a random set of opponents every single week and it's they're always high quality do you like the attention to detail that luchasaurus is not represented by a country's flag i noticed that yeah as did many people um they didn't have countries back then in the jurassic age that's right is he an honorary canadian because of his alliance um uh, sure why not we had dinosaurs here well once upon a time so pack continues to attack cassidy and he grabs the hammer 
when all of a sudden Katsuyori Shibata comes out, along with Rocky Romero and the best friends, who were just sort of, uh, um, you know, side pieces here. Shibata walks up to Orange Cassidy, points to the contract, and signs it. And on Rampage, on Friday night, <laughs> we're getting Orange Cassidy versus Katsuyori Shibata for the All-Atlantic Championship with Mike Tyson on commentary. <laughs> you know, uh, when they mentioned this being an All-Atlantic City dream match, you and I were wondering, oh, who, who are they going to get from New Jersey, you know, from the New Jersey, New Jersey area? We thought Minoru Suzuki. I thought that was an educated guess. Okay. Well, I don't think anybody would have guessed Katsuyori Shibata here. Um, this was the return on the show that I think, to me, was at least um, the better received of, of the two. Uh, it was certainly... <laughs> I can't believe we're debating like the the show that had Jeff Jarrett and Katsuyori Shibata come back. Two it was, old Japan legend, New Japan legends. That's right. <laughs> it was certainly a what the fuck moment. Okay, so we we had a lot here. I mean, and this was not like they they, they kind of set this up beforehand. You know, we, we remember if you had, you had Shibata um, saving Cassidy from what was this? What was the, the that scene? Uh, forbidden door? Like was that it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Forbidden Door. Yeah, so I mean, these two have had an interaction, and it was a super awkward interaction because, like, I think Shibata wanted to actually like <laughs> go into business and, and like actually do some physicality on the show, and Cassidy was like, "What the fuck?" This guy's going to be on a live television program on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very excited. So okay, this, so this, this is, is like the most anticipated rampage match in months. So this is the second match, like actual match that he's had. He hasn't had a match since Wrestle Kingdom this year. He did. He did the the Renner Zach Rita. match and the Renderita match. Yeah, the Zach, Zach, Zach match was a grappling thing. The Renderita thing was supposed to be. Well, wait. The Zach was, run was supposed to be grappling, but then he. Remind the, me. The, the Narita match is the one that he he seemed to go uh, above <laughs> and beyond the the parameters of the match. So this is the first one that they they're actually billing as just a straight up match, no sort of restrictions, like. So is this man cleared like officially? Like what's what, what's this him guy? and Soraya got it got a two for one clearance. <laughs> I guess so, but yeah, I wouldn't think that you know the man's first sort of like full on cleared match would be taking place in, on AEW Rampage, you know, and not at Wrestle Kingdom, for instance. Yeah, I will say the Mike Tyson calling this is going to be something, and they made it they made it clear Mike Tyson is going to be on for the entire hour. He's doing commentary. It's not like he's just dropping in for a quick two minute match. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm also like a little bit scared for it because I think like this moment, anytime you see Shibata in the ring, I feel like it's 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 it should be significant, you know, just kind of knowing what, what the man had to battle through to get back to the spot. I don't want to deal with like a commentator, like a celebrity commentator just asking, oh, look at this guy. He's like, you know, so I'm saying Mike Tyson better do his research. OK, he better do it. I, I, I think AEW wants like like a, a thriller pay-per-view kind of response. Like it's just, if this is a disaster with Tyson, all the more, all the better. Like, I think they are totally fine with this being a total disaster for an hour. Um, like, I think they're just throwing stuff at the wall for, for rampage. Like this is the most, this is the, the oddest rampage. See, that so have. that's great for the WBF. I just, uh, I mean, you have serious stuff here. You know, this was like probably the most excited I've been for a match on rampage in months. Okay, I I honestly can't remember even the last time, and I I don't want to see the show being treated as you know somebody's sort of a 
I'm curious if this Monday does anything night. for the number. They don't they don't have baseball to deal with on Friday night, so you don't have that. Um but at the same time you've really built in these habits for for people and um We'll see. This is certainly, you know, for the wrestling fan, you have this. Uh, but, I, but I think Mike Tyson is the biggest, like, mover that they have for, for Friday night. So we'll see mm-hmm. what that means. It's it certainly got people's interest. And you can't say that many weeks for, for Rampage, uh, two days out. But then we got the greatest transition for any wrestling broadcast this year. We go from Katsuyori Shibata in the ring. And now we're going to send it over to Tony Schiavone, who's with Rick Ross. It's like, What? Rick Ross, the Teflon Don, is with Swerve Strickland sipping on some champagne in the back with Tony Schiavone. I'm going to preface this by saying this was my favorite segment of the night. I thought Rick Ross is my favorite character that I saw on the entire program tonight. This man was fantastic. So these two are drinking, and Keith Lee walks in. And he says how Swerve has not been responding to his calls. And Rick Ross is just throwing in his commentary about, come on, we're keeping it positive. And Lee explains that we rewatched that he rewatched the tape of Rampage and the torture session. Accusations, false accusations. And then it, this all leads to an eight man tag being set up where Swerve and our glory will team with. Uh, the gun club against the acclaimed and FTR as Rick Ross proclaims brotherhood at the end of this whole thing. Dude, this guy was great. I mean, he was, I enjoyed him so much in this 60 seconds. It was great. This felt like he was, you know, a a tryout for him. This this guy was having the time of his life. He added so much to this. Like this is a, this was just a great, great dynamic. This this to me, this chemistry was like the closest I've seen like an AEW group having to like the bloodline. It was just so fun to watch for the, the brief time that they had. I mean, Rick, uh, you know, we, we've kind of said it here, like rappers are really pro wrestlers like in music and and i think they translate really really well and rick ross clearly like was having the time of his life (laughs) playing this character they have to bring him back they have to make him a regular part of this whenever he's available just to drop in every now and then would be great this guy's got a great promo in him you know it i mean oh he passed with flying colors in this backstage segment give me him on commentary on rampage one week that would be great yeah no, uh, he, uh, like clearly he, I think was, you know, have, um, I think he wants to be back. You know, I think it's pretty clear how, like how, how, how into this he was. It was, it's not just like a, a celebrity just kind of dipping in to promote his, his album. He didn't even promote anything. No. It was just like, you know, here to have fun. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he got into the ring. Hey, I mean, action Bronson isn't going to wrestle himself. Yeah, that's right. All right. So from there, we go to Jade Cargill and Marina Shafir for the TBS championship. They showed the tweets from Bow Wow trying to uh, ask out Jade. The match begins and Nyla Rose comes out with Vicky Guerrero and they start to talk on the mic over the match. But then Nyla gives up to go eat some potato chips. So Vicky continues. Jade goes after them. She's nearly counted out. Then she returns to the ring, escapes a knee bar, pump kick and jaded and pins Marina Shafir. Um, in a real nothing match, I yeah. there was a lot going on here, and I can't say it was very entertaining for the short time it had. No, it, it all seemed to 
I mean, it honestly never really had a chance. Like it no. just kind of seemed to be background. I don't know, moving images. So Marina Shafir was such a nothing player in this segment. I mean, you would have like there was there was no focus on her for. I mean, even the two minutes that they had. Yeah, no, it was it was just so that Nyla can kind of you know do the talking um, throughout the match with uh, Chips uh, gimmick, and um, I will isn't say that, though, isn't that Hooks thing? Well, you know, Hook doesn't talk with his mouth full. He knows better than that. Um, I thought it was like actually a not like complete disaster, like of a of a babyface outing for Jade Cargill because like you know for the first time I think you. You really wanted to see Jade Cargill beat up like the person because Jade is often in, in the position of the heel. But here, like she's essentially a baby face trying to rescue her belt back. And because Nyla was so obnoxious on comment on quote unquote commentary, eating the chips and just, you know, being a disruptor to the match. Yeah, I think the audience really wanted to see Jade get her. Well, hopefully, because that's the whole crux of this story is her finally getting her hands on Nyla Rose and getting her belt back. So they don't want to take the belt off Jade in a in a figurative sense. So they're going to do it in the literal sense. So she's trying to win back her title while she's champion. It's pretty novel. Mm-hmm. So full gear, you think? Yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Kira Hogan tried to reclaim the title, but Nyla left with it. And Jade was pissed at uh, Kiara for not getting the title. So Layla Gray tended to Hogan, if you missed that at the end. House of Black promo with the question, what has become of us? What have you all done? And there was this imagery of the male members all being put in body bags as Julia Hart is overlooking their corpses, putting... uh crosses in their hands and then burying them at sea and all must end so all can suffer and it ends with these words from malachi black and the image of his face but the whole um sort of tenor of this vignette was like julia hart being kind of the focal point of whatever the house of black becomes or is presently i mean i got the sense that this was some sort of resurrection of that. Yeah, I think that that was sort of their, they're going to be reborn, but this was yeah. like their older selves being kind of put to rest. Sure, I guess so. Yeah. But, um, you know, Julia Black, the only surviving member of House of Black, although I don't know if we saw Buddy throughout this. Nonetheless, we, we I, definitely I, saw Malachi and Brody. Yeah, we yeah. did see Buddy. I guess, I guess, you know, yeah, the insinuation is that House of Black or what, what, how it previously existed is done. Um, they are being buried in sea and they are somehow uh, being reborn. So seems to me like, like, like they're marking a return for uh, the group. They need a Dominic. Uh, I feel like Julia Hart already kind of plays that role. Okay. Well, we can see. She's got a, a high bar to reach then on the Dominic scale. Rampage on Friday with Mike Tyson on commentary. We are going to have Orange Cassidy and Shibata for the All-Atlantic title. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter against Madison Rain and Sky Blue. More names for the title tournament and more matches for next week's Dynamite. So tune in for news on Friday. And then Dynamite in Boston next week. All they have announced is acclaimed and FTR against Swerve in Our Glory and the Gun Club. But 
again, Friday night, they will be announcing more matches for, for the show in Boston. And they have added Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter for full gear. And we got a brief video package that looked to be shot for the countdown special where they lived together in England during the pandemic. And then when Tony Storm arrived in AEW, Jamie Hayter wouldn't talk to her. And Jamie says, I haven't changed. She just never knew who I was to begin with. Which is kind of tough. Like if if I lived with you, way, and then we went our separate ways, and we started working at the same company, and I showed up, and you just stopped talking to me when we were roommates, and your defense is I've always been like this. <laughs> I feel like that not true at all. You, it's, you must have done something, you know. Like, did you not like? You I mean, know, maybe maybe Tony Storm was like a crappy roommate. Like, yeah. maybe she didn't clean up after herself. Maybe she didn't do dishes. Roommates can have like nasty, you know, falling outs. It's tough finding a good roommate and 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 trying to maintain a relationship. So evidently, that you know that that was the rift that caused that led up to this match. Um, roomies, roomies who you know Wait, who loser, do the dishes. Loser owes rent retroactively. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't know any of this history between the two and I, I wish that a lot more of it came out I think in the build I hope more there's still time so I hope more of it comes out in the build and, and isn't just reserved for these countdown specials Um, you you wouldn't really kind of know the history between the two watching their interactions just on Dynamite okay well more to come Samoa Joe Brian Cage ROH television championship match Bobby Cruz is out um I'm just going to preface this by stating uh, there were like 10 million things I had going on during this match. So this this was a very loose watch. Um, we had uh, Brian Cage doing a lot of power spots. He hit an Inziguri and then a German out of the corner. They go through the break. Topic on Hero by Brian Cage, which, I mean, if you were going to look at uh, who who could have uh, a potential injury between R-Truth and Brian Cage uh, doing this spot. I mean, Brian Cage just like landed this thing and almost landed on his feet from it as well. He's impressive. Very. Yeah. Uh, we went through all of these near falls. And then in the end, there's a reversal by Samoa Joe and he locks on the Coquina clutch in 1125, beating Brian Cage. And then the embassy gets involved. Wardlow runs down and they all exit. He's left alone when powerhouse Hobbs appears, laying out Wardlow with the spine buster and holds up the TNT championship, which looks to be another full gear direction, we would assume. Or final battle. Uh, it feels like a long way to hold this one off until then. Yeah, but sorry, it's, it's possible. It's it's an AEW championship, so I guess I guess full, um, full gear makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought this was a very entertaining big man match. You know, Brian Cage is really just awesome, and I think with the right mouthpiece, like he has all the tools to be a world champion level guy. You know, just that level of agility with a guy who looks like that really is. It, 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 he he feels incredibly underutilized, and, and maybe there are reasons. Um, I think I don't know, maybe contractually or, or, or whatever beyond beyond all of that. But um, I hope to see him like take a pretty prominent role in ROH. Um, it was a match where I think you could really convincingly like you know see Joe fighting from underneath against the guy who can you know who's as big as him who can really just kind of throw him around at ease. So he kind of played defensively here, and it was actually kind of unique to see. So yeah, good match. I don't even know how to recap this episode of Dynamite. It was... Um, Did you enjoy it? I think... I'm not even saying this in a negative way, but it felt like one of those Vince Russo shows where it's 
constant people popping up and angles and like there's something happening every single segment and for for that like it felt like a show that there was just constant stuff happening which is not uh it's not a that's negative. every week that's every week it felt it felt more this week like with, with there were more surprises like for an AEW show, like it's like four title matches going in. First of all, like that's very excessive on AEW's end. And by the end of it, it's like the title matches were way down the list of, you know, importance on this show. Like you had all the people showing up, a wild rampage to promote. You had, you know, Billy Gunn's resurrection of his fingers. Um, it, it was a lot. I would say wrestling wise, I, I don't think this was um, like, I don't think it had that match that everyone was just their their jaw was dropping for. But I thought in terms of. Uh, from a two-hour show, um, it certainly had my attention, but it was one that had um, – I, I guess your mileage might vary on Jarrett, but I think the Shibata appearance was was very cool. I think that the <laughs> Rick Ross was phenomenal. I just thought he was uh, tremendous. So uh, overall, I, I thought it was like a, a pretty good addition uh, of Dynamite. The Cabana thing, that like that got uh, a nice reaction as well. So you had a lot of surprises on the, the show. This was more so about, I think, uh, just – to shooting a lot of angles and having a lot of surprises on the show. I was entertained by the show, you know, pretty consistently throughout the two hours. Um, I, I thought they, you know, as usual, throw a lot uh, into the show and they want to leave people feeling like they, you know, were a little overwhelmed, you know, that, that they came in and they got their money's worth. And I certainly feel like I, my time was, was well spent here. I, uh, my highlight maybe personally might've been the cabana return for, for Jericho, um, but it, I thought it was also the Shibata appearance here at the end of this uh, three-way that I thought was really exciting. So um, I'm looking forward to Rampage. You know, I thought overall this was a positive addition a, a of an AEW program to build towards full gear, um, setting a lot of things in motion, and even to build towards Rampage. It's a great go-home show for Rampage. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to get any super chats in, if you're in the, uh, the chat room, feel free to drop them in. We will be getting to feedback at Forum dot post wrestling.com uh, let's go to super chats here first of all uh let me just get this little thing up there first of all we go to uh brian who sends five dollars to say boom boom taking a victory lap with the super chat plus i get to see orange cassidy versus shibata in person on friday all right on your left brian thank you so much for the support and uh enjoy that match you get to see it you willed it into existence there so Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, we got a curly mustache FTW who simply sends $5 just to send $5. So thank you, Curly. Uh, there, there might have been a sticker, which I, uh, unfortunately I can't see here, but um, I, I'm going to imagine that you sent an, a sticker of ice cream, a delicious bowl of ice cream. So what thank flavor? you for that. Neapolitan. Oh, man. All of them. Fancy you. A guy named JJ sends $20 just Jeff to say. Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Double J himself says, thank you for the quick delivery from your merch at store.postwrestling.com. I appreciate all you two do. I also appreciate the opportunity to freshen up my wardrobe. Wow. This is just like a love letter to way. I mean, not only is the man sending us, you know, essentially like the cost of um, a shirt himself in the form of super chat, but he also gives us an excuse to, of course, promote <laughs> store.postwrestling.com where you can buy hats, t-shirts, the ever popular pillars, long winded road, road, road t-shirt that uh, Eddie Kingston has so, so proudly worn. So in so many occasions, a Rocky, my via picture show shirt, WrestleNomics merch you can get here. And of course, uh, rewind away a bunch of other things. Tooks, 
perfect for the holiday season, available right now at store.postwrestling. The, the toque on the right, uh, Max wore to school the other day. He like he took that. He claimed Really? It. Yeah, he wore Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah. That's adorable. Yes. We, uh, you know, he, uh, he could be a spokesperson for us. Uh, sure. All right. <laughs> Uh, thank you, thank so you very much. much for the super chats. Very, very generous. All we go. To, we got one more here, John. Oh not my all. god, we, I can't. I can't take it all. Hansi. We go to, we go to our friend Hansi, who sent seven dollars to say, "Do you think the elite wrestle at full gear or show up as a surprise at the pay per view?" And with Jarrett back, do you think Beetlejuice will avenge his WCW vendetta with him? Uh, if he does, then everyone will be right in thinking this was a, a poor idea. Uh, I do expect the elite to wrestle at full gear. Um, I, I don't know if you outright announce them. If you don't. I would want to make it as clear as possible that they are wrestling. And maybe you don't even want to leave it to chance. Like this has been uh, such a tumultuous period. Maybe you just want to make it plain as day. You buy this pay-per-view, you're getting the elite. And I can certainly see that argument that you have to buy the pay-per-view to see their return uh, rather than do it on. I kind of don't like the idea of them showing up on television beforehand. Yeah, I don't I don't think you need that. I think that big big surprise return pop is what you're looking for. Um I uh, you know, obviously you need a reason for the match to take place. So you're probably going to have to have like I don't know, Death Triangle put out some sort of open challenge, maybe call out the elite and we don't know if those Maybe Pac up. is a video editor. Um yeah, he's deleting them. Yeah, he could. He could. Yep. Um okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we last... got we got to find out who this guy is behind the computer. It's it's true, yeah. And who shot the video? For maybe Swerve? it's that guy. Maybe it's that guy Scripps on NXT. Oh, okay. No, but seriously, who shot the video for for Swerve? Was it Rick Ross? Was Rick Ross in the room? They kind of alluded to it being Rick Ross. That was his accomplice. Wow, really? Okay, he's a pretty good cameraman. Good They're, good lighting. Uh, yeah, I mean, interesting. Okay. Uh, hey, last shout out here goes to Lee Hildebrand, who's the, our newest member of the YouTube channel. So those of you who want to get our bonus shows in video form, it's $8 a month at video.postwrestling.com. Welcome, Lee Hildebrand. As well, Dickie Bird, Rorb, all you YouTube members that are part of uh, the live chat right now. Thank you for watching. Okay, forum.postwrestling.com. We start off with David Porges. Maybe it's because my football team was just badly beaten in the Champions League, and I'm upset, but I think AEW is on the board of jumping the shark for me. This feels like a show who's being run by a bot on shuffle. Dozens of titles no one cares about. Constant ex-WWE has-beens like Jarrett debuting and taking the time of underutilized talent like Miro and Ricky Starks and then complete random stuff like Rick Ross and Shibata. Okay, we are we are not going to say anything ill of one Rick Ross on this show. I quit at the Nylon Jade segment. Sorry, but we already had a TNA, and I don't want to watch another one in 2022. Maybe Tony can get me back when he stops having Dynamite being ROH 2.0 and going back to actually producing a good, enjoyable, and coherent wrestling show. Sorry for the rant, but it's disappointing to see the alternative turning into such a shit show. Hmm. Interesting. This is going to be a polarizing episode, I think, for people, because it was... um. It's sort of the uh, the idea of trying to be something for everybody that you're nothing specific for anyone. Oh, let, let me fight back on that because I don't think it's something for everybody. I think it is something for Tony Khan because I think in Tony Khan's world, everything that we saw tonight is relevant and of interest to him. You know, you could tell maybe he's he's a big hip hop fan. You could tell he's a big New Japan fan. You could tell he uh I don't know loved like his Jeff TNA Jarrett tapes. Fan. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett tapes. 
And he just like, you know, like he, he found a role for all of those things on, on his show. I don't know if he necessarily considers it to be as much of a variety or as much of a rando, random sort of shuffle, um, um, uh, you know, TV show as, as maybe David does here. Well, it will be, um, like I, I, I don't really follow along online to see people's like ongoing reactions as the, the show went on. But I think, you know, there was, there was plenty on here that I can see people enjoying and plenty of stuff that people are more critical of. And, and I do believe that there is a contingent of people that view AEW with like a much narrower view of what they want to see on this show mm-hmm. as opposed to a WWE that I think the, the horizons are endless of where they can go. And the, like, for instance, I, I don't think there would be the patience level for a Dexter Loomis. I would be really curious. Like if a, if a Bray Wyatt would be as readily accepted on the AEW side, like not, I think not the same way. You know, I think that's part of the reason why maybe they didn't have interest in him. Cause I don't think an AEW product would have anything to offer. Like, you know, the type of, out there storytelling that a, like the, I don't think AEW would be capable of doing the the White Rabbit stuff, you know? Maybe maybe they would have. I mean, if they allowed them to work like so independently, it just like it it just feels more of a production heavy sort of gimmick than what AEW is able to offer, and and the AEW audience might not even want something like that. But um, there's a lot on this show, and, and I think like for me, um, the, the title situation is 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 one of the big things. Um, the lack of focus of like it, it, they're seemingly like sequestering all the Ring of Honor acts to Ring of Honor, but mixing them in the body of an AEW show, you know, and and, and that I think has has been somewhat um, confusing and has taken focus kind of away from everything. I, I think overall ROH has has really diluted things. I think if it was Jericho on his own, I think that's that's a well thought out story that has. Um, a destination that you're going towards. I think if you had that one title, but when you're mixing in everything, I think it does kind of dilute everything. And it's this extra brand that we have to focus on. And certainly Tony Khan has his, his reasoning be- behind it. And, and maybe, you know, if they, if they strike their deal and then it's, it's all separate, maybe we'll see a bit different, but, but cramming it into these shows there, I think, and the addition of the titles, like I think your title matches, I, I don't know how much they necessarily mean when you're doing them so frequently. And there's so many belts that there's only really the top ones that people truly have um, that, that are going to make a difference, which are what you you hope for, you know, at least your main titles to do. Mm. Let's go up next to Johnny from Saskatoon, who says, I unfortunately caught COVID and either I'm hallucinating or Mike Tyson is going to call an Orange Cassidy versus Shibata match live on TV. Well, we hope you're uh, we hope you're feeling better, Johnny. But you are not hallucinating. That is no. in fact happening. He says, "Good show overall tonight. I thoroughly enjoyed the cameos. I missed the double J one, but I think that's okay. Is it just me, or did Rick Ross give off the vibe that he could be the next million dollar man?" P.S. If I wore, he wants. yeah, if I wore a post wrestling shirt at a fucked up show, would that be cheesy? Uh, no. Just don't go if you have COVID. That would be my only advice. Yes, yes. Uh, but no, that would be uh, that would be a tremendous statement to to make. Uh, I mean, I think Damien would, you know, um, throw you off this, like bring you off the, bring you onto the stage and lovingly throw you off the stage. Is what I meant. 
Cody from Maine writes, this show felt like a fever dream. AEW has a history of random appearances. Hooventude, Glacier, hell, Ricky Morton did a Canadian Destroyer on Dynamite once upon a time. But I certainly didn't envision Jeff Jarrett, Colt Cabana, and Shibata all being surprises on the same show without Joey Janela promoting it. I don't know what I might get in person for Dynamite next week in Boston, but I feel confident after tonight in stating it at least won't be boring. I mean, that's that is probably a feeling that they they want you to have for these shows absolutely is the that this show in baltimore that had 2500 tickets out um and was going against let's remember it was going against the world series tonight this was hard this was a show that you could hardly say that they were not uh throwing the towel in on they treated this as though it was like a a significant show that if you missed it look at all the stuff you missed anybody can show up you know, whether it be from uh, your per- favorite wrestling promotion in America in the mid 2000s or your favorite wrestling promotion in Japan from the 2000s or uh, whatever was on your iPod in the 2000s. You know, anything, any anybody can show up here. Let's go to Kate from Montreal, who will again be joining me on Friday for Rwanda Smackdown. She says, I was iffy about this episode at first, but it got stronger as it went along for the most part. I feel sorry for Lee Moriarty, who had a strong showing against Mox while the entire crowd was looking in another direction. Shibata was a genuine shock, and wherever you fall on the Punk versus Elite War, I think it would be hard to look at to look at Colt's, Colt Cabana's face when he came out and not be moved. Perfunctory grumbling about the framing and timing of the women's, women's match, whatever. Jade and Nyla is a fun feud, and I'm looking forward to the, to the title match. Jordan from the Bronx. This episode was all over the place, starting with the man with more lives than a cat, Jeff Jarrett, a post-CM Punk Colt Cabana appearance, Rick Ross, who is refreshingly engaging, Nyla and Vicky doing live commentary, Shibata being signed to a championship match, no MJF, plenty of The Firm, and a Brian Cage main event. My brain is completely overloaded. As much as I enjoyed most of these things individually, it was too much to keep up with for one show. Full Gear is three weeks away, and there's a tournament that is yet to start with only two known participants announced. Mike Tyson is supposed to call a Shibata Cassidy match on Friday, and now we have foam scissor fingers. Too many things in one episode. It's exhausting. You, mm. They'll get around to this tournament. Don't worry. They got they got two weeks. Yeah, because it's supposed to culminate um, at full gear. And how many? How many? Like they have uh, to do practice? six matches. Six matches six in matches, an eight man okay. tournament to get to the finals at the pay per view, which is you know two weeks is fine. Spread mm-hmm. that out over Dynamite and Rampage. Hmm. All right, we got a Chris in Ottawa finally who says, not the best Dynamite I've ever seen, but an eventful one. Jeff Jarrett is a new director of business development. I can at least understand this, given the pedigree and experience. What I don't understand is seeing Jeff Jarrett on TV in 2022. Nice physique, though, as John noted earlier. But what the fuck, Tony Khan? Um, I think maybe part of it is just him wanting a big surprise. You know, a big what the fuck, you know? Um... I I would venture to guess that like his primary reason for being here is for his actual backstage role and not being on TV. Uh, okay, Shibata on Rampage and no World Series baseball on Friday means I'm watching Rampage for the first time in a while. Does this mean Mike Tyson is going to be com- on commentary? Yes, yes, it does mean that. That's it. That's that's the main event. <laughs> Mike Tyson on Friday night. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for the feedback. Thanks for all the Super Chats. For those joining us live, we are here every Monday night after Raw, every Wednesday after Dynamite, and Friday for Post Wrestling Cafe members live. It's Waiting and Kate from Montreal after SmackDown and Rampage, an episode that I, I will be checking out. I, I look forward to, to hearing all of Kate's thoughts about Mike Tyson on 
on her his call of Shibata and Orange Cassidy. And then her thoughts on uh, Crown Jewel with you on Saturday. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Kate's going to be busy this week. We will be running down Crown Jewel and uh, all that goes on on that show, where uh, I believe that uh, the odds I put in the news update today has Roman Reigns at a minus, a minus 5,000 favorite. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, okay. So You're yeah, going to put money down on that? No, no, I won't be. But yeah, people are free to to do so. Uh, so yes, lots of shows coming up. I'm back Thursday, one Eastern here on the YouTube channel with Brandon Thurston chatting all things WWE business related. Way will you be tuning in? Yes, I will. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if not live, then after the fact, for sure. Yeah, of course. All right, uh, that's it. Do you want to close off with anything, Way? Any any message? Any statement? Take care of yourselves and each other. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.